Okay, we are on the record. The story begins, friends. We are on page 625, chapter 49. We're talking all about love, right? And we've been talking about love and emotions, developing passion and feeling for God for quite a while now pretty much since chapter 41. And we took a brief digression in chapter 48 to give us context for a new meditation. And this meditation is going to be so powerful. I find it to be so profound. We're gonna see what it is soon. We've been talking a lot about symptom. And there's, so many levels of symptom. Again, symptom means the process in which God hides himself. Um, it, think about it this way. Before God created the world, all that existed was just God. Which means God had to create space for the world. Creating that space for the world means creating a dimension where he is not um, naturally or easily perceived, like that's called symptom. And there are multiple dimensions of how faded this perception can be, right? These multiple dimensions are referred to in Kabbalistic lingo as the various worlds. There's the world of Atzilut, where God and, and divinity and godliness is very much present. And then as we progress down in worlds, the divine revelation becomes more and more faded until we reach our world, our dimension, our state of awareness, our perspective, where we, we just don't get it, right? We kind of have to have faith. So I'll give you an example. We, we've used this example in the past, but I, I love it. And we're going to use it again. The piano example, right? Who remembers the piano example? Okay, so you have a piano, and if you are musically inclined, you see a you you see the potential for music. If you are more of a practical kind of person, you see somewhere where you could put nice picture frames, right? If you're a woodpecker, you see dinner, and. If you are perhaps a cat or a dog or whatever it is, maybe you just see something to climb on. Depending on what dimension you're looking from, that is how we perceive um, that there's, there's these multiple levels of perception, right? And each level of perception is what we refer to as a world, the world of Atsi. The word atzilus comes to the word etzel next to it. It's next to God. So there's a lot of clarity. And God's uh, perspective is not that diminished. And in that world, in that paradigm, you see the piano for what it is. You see the music, not just a piece of furniture. Perhaps in a lower world, you just see furniture. And even, right, you just see, you see the world... You, and in an even lower world, we see dinner, right? The same as in our perspective from God. 
as we digress in worlds as the Tsimtsum progresses, our perspective of God is becoming more faded, more darkened, to the point that in this world, perceiving God is not the natural default. It's something we work on. It's something that is explained to us. Faith is something we try to achieve. The important question that we must ask ourselves is why? Or what, maybe we need to ask God why. God, why do you hide yourself? By the way, it, we, throughout Psalms, throughout Tehillim, there are several times where King David pleads with God, don't hide yourself any longer from me. Just show me your face. And Moses pleaded to God. Show me your face. Show me your countenance. The priestly blessings. Sharon, you were talking about the priestly blessings before. One of which are, may God shine his countenance upon you. We want to experience God because we want to experience the truth. So why does God hide himself? What is the purpose? Take a look on 627, please. What is the purpose of God hiding himself? Take a look at the third uh, bold or fourth bold paragraph. Right, okay, right on top of section two. Do you see it? The purpose of all these diminishments, or in Hebrew, tzimtzum, is to eventually create the, sensu the, the sensuous, am I pronouncing that right? Is to create the sensuous human body so that the body will resist its self-gratifying inclinations and thereby subdue citra akra, klipa, the negativity. Um, let me just pause for a second just to, to give some context here. If there was no symptom, we would not exist as we do now on a physical body. Because the physical body can't handle the truth. It's too overwhelming. They don't go together, right? What happened to the Jewish people when God revealed himself at Sinai? Right? The first time God revealed the first of the Ten Commandments, and he exposed himself. He said, I am the Lord, your God. What happened to the Jewish people? What happened to them? They had that out-of-body experience. They died. God had to revive them with the dew of the Torah. That's what the Talmud says. God says, okay, take two. <laughs> and he says the second of the Ten Commandments. They can't handle it anymore. They died. So the Jewish, they get revived again. And by the way, this is, this is today's Torah portion, portion of Chumash. The, uh, the Jewish people go up to Moses and say, you know what, Moses? We can't handle the truth. You could. Why don't you talk... Have a chat with God and you'll come back and you'll tell it to us because we, we can't really handle this. Being in a physical body and experiencing God don't naturally come hand in hand. By default, they don't come hand in hand. And actually, we alluded to this earlier. 
Let's quickly flip back to the beginning of chapter 48, page 614. Flip back real quick. Everyone has it? Okay, 614, last bold paragraph. It's the second to last paragraph of the page. And if the spiritual worlds had unfolded from the blessed infinite light without any radical diminishments, without symptom, imagine a world without symptom, imagine God never hit himself, he just created without creating a space where he is not um, apparently absent. And created the spiritual and physical worlds would have only followed a sequential, and the creation of the spirit of the world would have followed only a sequential cause and effect process where each phase is relative to the next. This world couldn't have been created at all in its current and limited and finite form. For us to exist in a definitive and finite form, which means life is limited, our perceptions are limited, our passions are limited, everything about us is limited, right? Which, by the way, limitations are beautiful because that's where there is variety. The reason why I'm different than you and you're different than me is because we each have our limitations. If neither of us had limitations, we'd all be the same. Life would be very boring. You could thank Simpson for that. You could thank God hiding himself for that. Right? And that's kind of what we're saying here in different words. Now that God hides himself, we can exist in a body. And why is that so beautiful? Because now we get to serve God, not just experience him by default. It's not just that God exists. It's that his existence can become meaningful to us. There is an us who can choose to experience him. Whereas if God never hid himself, he would be very much present. We wouldn't be here to experience him. Be much of a relationship. Um, let, let, let's look back, please, on 627. Um, we're in the middle of that second to last paragraph on top of section two that we were reading. We're on the fourth line. And we're going to put this in different words now. And since the struggle will take place in our spiritually dark world, there will be the advantage of light that comes from darkness. So why did God create this dark space where his light is not perceived? So that the light doesn't just shine by default, but we can illuminate the light by subduing our inclination. And the person will elevate to God alone both his divine and energizing animal souls along with their garments as well as the body's powers as mentioned above at length since this is the purpose of the entire chain of worlds so take a step back there's multiple worlds there's multiple dimensions of existence all of them leading to our dimension of existence of perspective where god is least seen and all that is for the purpose of us independently existing so there can be this dark space that we can choose to eliminate. That we can, uh, and that's through challenging our inclination. Any questions? Thoughts, comments? 
controversy. So is there a book on how to get you which levels and how do we understand it? Because we don't understand anything except for the here and the now. Right. So you, you raise a very good, good point. And, and that's kind of the difference between Hasidus and Kabbalah. Kabbalah is focusing on the levels, the very yeah. levels of um, Hasidic teachings, such as Tanya, is not focusing on the levels of and dimensions, but actually focusing on the relationship. And sometimes we will reference these levels, these Kabbalistic references, uh, just to give us a frame of reference to give the relationship context. So it's just to understand where we at at a specific moment. Yeah, exactly. But our, our prime focus is the actual relationship with God and the perspective, the, the understanding we have now, the context that we're trying to build for this relationship is realizing that the relationship only exists because God hid himself. If God never hid himself, if he exposed himself, we wouldn't exist as we know it. How could we have a relationship with him? So th there's kind of this dichotomy or catch 22. If God reveals himself, we can't exist. If God doesn't hide himself, we can't exist. And if we do exist, well, then how do we have a relationship with God? He's hidden. Right? Let me repeat that. If God exists in a revealed manner, in an exposed manner, then we won't exist as we know it, and we can't have a relationship with him. And if God allows us to exist, that means he hid himself. How are we supposed to have a relationship with him? The only option is for him to hide himself, for us to exist. And now there's the potential to have a relationship with him. We have to find him, though. We have to search for him. But he will never be revealed in this life to us, right? Or will he? He, he will when Mashiach comes. But when Mashiach comes, we're not going to be as overwhelmed as we were at Mount Sinai because we'll be ready for it. Because it's something we worked for. So I'll, get, I'll give you an example. Yeah, sorry. So I was just going to ask. So, so basically, he's he's hiding to make us autonomous, to give us free choice, and to give us, um, like, um, yeah. So the other, because if he's there and he's all powerful, then we won't actually have any purpose. He's going to be around. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um. It, in. When Mashiach comes, will actually be revealed, but we'll be ready for it. It's something we somewhat earned, an experience we earned, not just a, it, it won't be that overwhelming experience that we had at Sinai. It will be a meaningful experience. So I'll, I'll, the example that's often given is a teacher and student relationship. Imagine a brainiac professor who just says everything he knows. No filter. Right, the students are overwhelmed. He did a good job sharing the information, but nobody received the information. Because <laughs> he just shared everything, right? No symptom, no filter, no diminishment. So then you have another teacher who 
is a mastermind at condensing ideas, being succinct, right? A good teacher can say things in a very succinct manner. And he condenses the entire lesson into one sentence. And you, and then he challenges you, trains you, the student, gives you tools to be able to figure out what he actually wants you to, uh, to glean from that one sentence. Right? That sounds good. So now it's the same revelation at the end of the day, but one was through hard work and effort and through the teacher hiding himself. And now I'm not overwhelmed and I figured it out. And one was just overwhelming and I didn't get anything. And God kind of does that. He tells us one sentence, a verse in the Torah. On that one verse, there's so much Talmudic discussion back and forth, and Mishnaic discussion, and Midrashic discussion, and a Hasidic interpretation, Kabbalistic interpretation. And this are, these are things that God has given us tools through the oral Torah to, to, to figure out. But if God were just to dump it on us, it would be very overwhelming. Yeah, so, so um, Sadikim, they, does God reveal themselves to them or does, do they see angels and send angels to come and give them messages? Okay, that, so that's a good question. So generally, a, a Tzadik has a Atsilus type Neshama, which means their Neshama, their soul, the perspective their soul has is from that higher world where they don't really, they're not subject to symptom the same way we are, right? So when they see a piano, they don't just see dinner or furniture. They actually see the potential for music, right? When they see the world, they see what it really is, that it's something that God is constantly creating. They see the, they see the truth behind it. They, they have that, uh, that refined soul vision. But that's why a real tzaddik, you know how you know if somebody's a real tzaddik? If they see only good in you, if they see your soul, if they could only see your soul, if they could only see your potential, because that's the paradigm from which they're living. But a tzaddik would also correct you if you're on the wrong path. Right. Yeah, he he and, must be able to see that you're on the wrong path. But the reason is because they see within you the potential to be on the right path. And also because people in glass houses don't throw stones, you know? They, yeah. So, so Sadikim don't have any fault, so they can correct because they don't have the problem with those issues. <laughs> right. At least, not in, at least not in the same level. Yeah. You know, some, sometimes it takes, like, like the Talmud says, Rabbi Tursky used to um, a blessed memory used to quote this all um, the Talmud says that a prisoner can't free himself you need someone outside of the prison to free you right sometimes when we're stuck in the problem we need an objective person who sees things differently to kind of release us so it, the, the point of this here though is to give us the, share with us the value of God hiding himself. Sometimes it's frustrating. And if you look throughout Psalms, King David says, God, why are you hiding yourself? Don't do this any longer. It's frustrating. 
but there's so much value to it. God says, no, 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 I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I don't want to be that professor that's just spoon feeding you. You're going to figure it out. I'm, I'm giving you little tips. I'm giving you tools. You're going to figure it out. You're going to get this. And when you do, it's going to be very meaningful. It's going to be long lasting. It's going to be very real. If you look on the bottom of 627, we have here a beautiful meditation. A beautiful meditation um, about Simpson. Again, we said love is um, love has a mirroring effect. We mentioned this in chapter 46. Love has a mirroring effect. When somebody, when you feel that somebody loves you in any relationship, you are going to feel love and therefore you are going to love, right? When they show that love to you, you're really going to feel it. Well, God shows his love to us. How does God show his love to us? By hiding. How does God hiding an expression of love? God hiding is an expression of love because we wouldn't exist if he didn't hide. We would be overwhelmed. So God says, I'm willing to put myself aside and to hide myself just so you can exist. So what should our reaction be? Well, God, if you're willing to set yourself aside because you love us, you want us to exist. Perhaps we should be willing to set ourselves aside so you can exist. So you can exist in our world. Let's read this meditation inside because I, I think this is just so profound and so powerful. Um, bottom of 627. Under, this, under where it says section two. Now, as we learned in chapter 46, the human heart automatically is emotion. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man to man. When you look at water, you see your face. When two hearts are facing each other, they are reflective. And it's the same with our relationship with God. Look on 628, please. The bold paragraph. Since the blessed Holy One, uh, Holy One set aside, so to speak, his great endless light, dispersing it away to the sides, figuratively speaking, you should have a reciprocal response, which we're going to describe below. Right, God hit, put himself aside. He did the tsum So we can exist. We could do the same. Take a look at the next bold paragraph. We're just going to be the bold ones. And in addition to dispersing his infinite light, he hid and concealed the partially finite light that remained in the three different types of major profound diminishments mentioned above. There's the various dimensions where he did allow himself to be perceived on some level. Even those are hidden. Even those can't be easily accessed. Right, next bold paragraph. And all this was for the sake of a reciprocal reaction of lowly human love, which would motivate you to elevate all the world's God through worship. Right. So take a look on 629, middle of 629. It's the second bold paragraph, it's the middle of the page. 
For in response to God's diminishment, the person ought to similarly disregard and relinquish everything is that might act as an obstacle to worship. God removed the obstacles of our that that would prevent our existence, namely His own life. We can remove obstacles then. We should feel that motivation to remove obstacles that would diminish his existence, which perhaps are our own self-centered desires. Um, next bold paragraph, still 629 towards the bottom of the page. This includes all types of distractions from the soul to the flesh, whether they be intellectual, social, sensory. There's all types of distractions out there. Now we have virtual distractions as well. We can add that to the Tanya. <laughs> and we can set that aside because God set himself aside, right? You want to let go of all to connect to God with attachment, fervor, and desire because he's doing the same thing for us. Last paragraph of the page. Nothing should get personally or circumstantially, neither the temptations of the body nor the animal soul, and circumstantially an overstated concern with finances or family. In, in Hasidic lingo and Hasidic terminology, God creates the world as something from nothing, right? Not, there wasn't anything that existed before creation, and out of nothing, he created something. Now, is there really such thing as nothing? There's no such thing as nothing. Because there's always God. How could there be nothing? Right. Scientifically, even I don't know. Yeah, according to the laws of physics, I don't. I mean, maybe others would know better. I don't. Is there such thing as nothing? Can there literally be nothing? <laughs> is it air? Is it molecules? Is it atoms? Is it neutron? There's got to be something. I don't know. But when we say God created the world from nothing because there was just Him, what we're referring to when we say nothing is actually Him. The animal soul's perspective sees God as nothing. So we say he created something from nothing. In other words, nothing is code word for God. So God created something from nothing, from himself. Right? You look in the beginning of Maimonides, right? David, what did Maimonides say at the beginning? God is the first existence and everything that existed originated from his existence. Everything comes from him. So God creates something from nothing. Our job is to take that something and turn it back into nothing. God creates something from nothing. Our job is to take that something and turn it back into nothing, turn it back into something divine, which in English, God, set himself aside so we can exist we should set ourselves aside so he can exist Let, let's go through this meditation in a more meaningful slow pace because I, I think this is so important let's take a step back let's think about this and, and this is going to be for homework by the way this meditation before you pray in the morning think about this or even before you go to bed at night, think about this, because this is, this is going to inspire us with an incredible motivation. So before God created the world, there was just him. There was just God, which is hard to imagine. 
because where was he? Well, there was no space. There was nothing, right? These things are kind of mind-boggling. So there's just God. God wants a world. By the way, what is the Hebrew word for world? Olam, which means a concealment. In order for there to be a world, God has to conceal himself. He hides himself. He sets himself aside so that the world could exist, so that we, our bodies can exist, so that our individuality can exist. Us with our own independent desires, our own agendas, our own interests, our own pleasures, our own mishigas, our own shtick, our own flavor. All of this exists independently and is different from one another We're all, because God hid himself. Which means he values it. God values our individuality. He values our independence. He values our body because none of this could exist if he didn't hide himself. He hid himself because he values it. God set himself aside because he values us. He wants us. When we think about that, well, God, wow, you did that for me. Let me reciprocate. Am I pronouncing that right? Let me reciprocate. There we go. Right? I have my own light, so to speak, that may be preventing you from existing in my life my own desires, my own faults, my own habits, my own tendencies. This is the way I was brought up or this is, I didn't know, whatever it is, we have our own things that get in the way of, of God existing in our life. God was willing to set himself aside so we can exist. Let's reciprocate, reciprocate. Ugh, I can't get this word out. Let's, okay, who can help me out here? Reciprocate. There we go. And show God that, hey, you showed an immense amount of love. Let us show that love to you as well. So you can exist in our lives. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 